Today's episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio is brought to you by Gamers Inn, your one-stop location for all your gaming needs. Located in Lehigh City, Utah, their fun and friendly staff will be more than happy to answer any of your gaming needs. Just remember, Gamers Inn, it's where adventures begin. Broadcasting live from the DCR studio. Oh, yeah! The Geek Revolution starts here. Excellent! Get ready for the number one hit geek radio show out there. Well, it is impressive, isn't it? Because it's time for Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Alright everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where Scott's disappeared, Varen got sucked into a vortex of goo, and Mackenzie's eating pizza somewhere, and we've got John Emelson, author of Crystal King, as well as several other works that are out there. Yeah, a pile of short stories. Yes. So, you know, tell us a little bit about what Crystal King is, and then we can jump into having all sorts of fun when talking about writing and everything else. Okay, well, the story is about a young man who is the second son of a baron. You know, it's usually kind of a throwaway position. There's no inheritance, nothing like that. But his father and his brother, the heir, both come up missing. And so he has to uh, lead his people as an army is invading. And so he has to take them to safety as Mm -hmm. the army chases them through the countryside. Nice. So it's kind of a story of... uh, dedication and honesty uh, one of the things that i decided to do is to find four words that really um exemplify the story yeah it's family honor duty and betrayal yeah it's kind of like one of these things does not belong with the others yeah so this character is the second son so pretty much he's probably the slacker of the family because there's no reason to do anything Am I right or wrong? Because yeah, he's kind of the goof off, the rebellious kid who yeah. doesn't want to do what his dad has said. And yeah, he's 18 years old, and so he's getting to where he should be a responsible adult yeah. and hasn't figured out how yet. Yeah, because, I mean, traditionally, in most monarchies, the first son gets everything. And the rest of the kids are just, yeah, unless something happens to him, there's no point paying attention to you, at least from what we've seen in literature and movies and stuff like that, and his, and even history. Yeah, it can sound a little bit like one of the usual tropes where, yeah, you have the big inheritance, then you have the uh, waif who doesn't get anything. But I decided to play with that a little bit. Oh, it, and there's nothing wrong with picking up those tropes. I mean, that's the fun of getting to write. you get got to twist those tropes around and make them work for you. Oh, yeah, that's something that I've seen with a lot of really popular authors is they will take some of those standard ideas and do something new and interesting yeah yeah so he he inherits the throne dad's missing older brother's missing army's coming in he's got to get them out what emotional conflicts do we see the character go through because i i gotta assume he's second guessing everything because he's he hasn't paid attention to any lessons or anything like that i would assume Right, yeah, he's the kind of guy who has dodged his training and mm-hmm. goofed off, but he really 
has a place in his heart for the people. Okay. But he's never really had a chance to do anything about that. Yeah. And so suddenly the whole world changes out from under him. Yeah. And it's an opportunity for him to uh, make a mark on the world where he never had that before. The problem is he has to break a lot of the standing rules of society to keep his people safe. And so it's mm. all about the motivations yeah. Because other people break rules and do things the wrong way, but it's generally for selfish reasons. He has to do it for the altruistic reasons. Like, this is the only way these people will stay alive. Wow. No, I, I like that. I like the fact that his core belief is about, you know, family and his kingdom, you know, the people. So that, that gives a lot to that character and, you know, why he's not belling on everything and running away as well. So that's pretty cool. Now, this is the first book of a series. Yeah, um, you have Crystal Kings to start uh, to start off with, and then Crystal Queen, and then the third volume will be Crystal Prince. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I like to play with is, as you read the story, it's not exactly clear who the title refers to. Okay. I like that. I do like that. Um, now, see, you, you wrote a bunch of short stories. Was the leap from writing short story to a full novel <laughs> a big one? Or was it kind of, eh, it was just kind of the, the next step? Well, there are some distinct skills that short stories won't teach you, but basic story structure, things like that, you really can learn an awful lot writing a bunch of short stories. Mm -hmm. So I've got, I think, seven that are published, three that are still scheduled to come out, uh, a bunch more that are kind of in the works trying to find a home. And so they taught me a lot about different kinds of story and about character development. Uh, even just story structure. I saw a chart the other day that compared all of the different story structures, whether you're talking about Save the Cat or uh, about a dozen different structures, and it lined them all up and showed how they had parallel pieces in all of these different structures. And so once you start to understand that structure, then you can start to add the layers of complexity that a novel has where you have multiple things going on at the same time, switching between characters, a short story, you really don't have the option to have several points of view, yeah. for instance. Yeah, no, I mean, that's one thing I found. It was always fun, but at the same time complex, where you're bouncing from one point of view to the next, and <clears throat> having to jump to another character that may not be in the same area and trying to bounce those different storylines until they mesh together. Mm -hmm. So, um... Yeah, it's, it's fun, definitely more complicated than a short story where you're normally just in that one point of view. Yeah, I like to apply, well, I'm a computer geek at heart. I've written software for like 30 years or so. Okay. But I like to apply the idea of recursion, where you have the overall story structure, and then you have subsections of it that can each have their own little overall story structure. Yeah. And you can keep breaking that down. So a chapter might have... A beginning a middle and an end just like a story has a beginning middle and end yeah. and you can keep breaking it down that way and you may even have sentences and paragraphs that can still follow that, that same structure a little bit and so having that and interleaving the multiple characters and all that uh, yeah that's where the short stories really aren't going to train you for all of that and so you have to learn some of those skills in addition to uh, what the short stories can teach you so being a computer programmer and then writing, that's kind of left-right brain. I mean, almost <laughs> the exact opposite. How, do, how, do you, how does that work? Well, I like to think of myself as kind of a, a Renaissance man wannabe. Okay. 
And so Nothing I wrong do, with that. I do creative things. I have a, a wood shop that I call my secret lair out in the backyard. And I like to build things, do creative stuff that way as well. Uh, built cabinets and tables, and I uh, use a lathe to make pens, things like that. So lots of little decorative boxes. So I try to exercise the artistic half of my brain. Yeah. So you're a jack of all trades, really. You, you got the computer stuff, you got the wood stuff, you're writing, uh, being creative in both, because even computer programming is being creative in one fashion, because you got to string the line of code to make it work. Um, you know, what is so exciting and appealing with writing then? Well, just like the things that I build in my shop, I just love the idea of creating things. Okay. Whether it's a story, whether it's a box that I'm building out of a piece of scavenged lumber, uh, I just like making things. Okay. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, so that's the idea with the short stories. It's something that wasn't there when I started. Yeah. And now you have a story that's woven together and it's entertaining. Yeah, I can find some stray log uh, for instance i was at dave butler's house a while back yeah. scavenging some scrub oak from his backyard and i made a box for him out of some of the wood that i had uh, collected oh, wow. there so things like that it's a lot of fun to just uh make something to show okay now this is uh inverse entropy mm-hmm. uh, normally the world breaks down and destroys things i like to counter that yeah well and the really cool thing is with like that you know, you're seeing something out of this piece of wood that no one else is seeing. It just looks like a log or a broken stump or whatever. And you've turned it into a box that has value. You can put stuff into it and has a, probably an amazing appearance than just that piece of wood that was sitting there. So, um, so we've talked about the hero. We've talked a little bit about the story. Is there a villain in the story? Um, yes, there is the invading king. Okay. As, well, he's the primary villain. Oh, we've got more than one villain. That's always a good thing. Like, there are some spoilers I could go into about other villains, but okay. Well, we can those avoid are, those so those people are best will read the book. Yeah. As you read it, yeah. yeah. I've even got a kind of a weaselly guy who is supposed to be one of the allies, but is still kind of a, a thorn in the side of our hero, Gavin. Yeah. Those, those are good. I like those. Yeah, so he's the penny-pinching accountant who likes to squeeze the peasants for extra funds. Okay. Fun. We've seen that before, but I'm sure you have your own unique twist to that. Yeah, the the challenge is, yeah, they're abandoning everything. And so how do you evacuate and abandon all of this, uh, the, the castle, the village that goes with it? And then still portray him as the uh, Weasley Penny Pincher. <laughs> so there's some interesting things. That, that is that that's a really there. good one. Yeah, I mean, there's some challenges that come along with that because everyone's just like leaving everything. How do you get him to still pay mm. the get, collect the taxes and stuff like that without being too overt? I guess where mm. the king sees what's going on. Yeah, so he's the kind of a bad guy light. Yeah. And well, he's always trying to look for his own personal advantage. Okay. So he might be siphoning a few funds off uh-huh. from his collections. Nice. I, I like when there's more than one villain uh, in a story. And the reason for that is, like you were saying, you have the, the smaller story arcs. And mm-hmm. Some of those smaller villains help with that, you know, because it takes forever to get to that big villain. 
Yeah, because we got to crest the whole story before we finally get to that moment. Right. And so by having those smaller villains and the things that are happening with them, it kind of helps fuel the story and the reader's interest and move things along. Yeah, being the computer geek that I am, romance is one of those things that's really a challenge for me to write because I really You're not haven't the only one. <laughs> done much. And so that was one of the challenges that I decided to give myself for this is to put a uh, little bit of a love story in there, nestled in amongst all of the other stuff. Wow. Yeah, it, that that's one thing, you know, even writing my book, that's I hint at it and stayed away from it. I know I'm going to have to get to it because... I just don't know how I'm going to write that. So how did you deal with that then? Well, a lot of it was a matter of keeping them apart, not seeing each other, and in the beginning not hinting that they know who each other uh, even is. Okay. And so it's a matter of long-lost loves stumbling back into each other. Okay. You can see how that would work really well. I mean, we've kind of got the Romeo and Juliet separation type love thing, but then... They don't know who they are, coming back together, seeing each other for the first time. and Yeah, someone has kept them apart for a long time. Wow. On purpose. Yes. Right. As leverage. Yeah, it's one of the bad guys. Okay. So look at that. You guys are already finding out <laughs> awesome reasons to read this story. Penny-pinching accountant guy that everyone hates. Long-lost lovers that are being kept apart by a horrible villain. And the king in the invading army. We need to, yeah, why not? You have to read this. It's awesome. Now, there's also the magic system, which I decided to uh, take another fairly common idea and turn it around again. Okay. Um, I don't know if you have uh, seen any of the uh, Anne McCaffrey Crystal Singer books. Yes. Yeah. I decided to do something with crystals. Okay. And I'd read those books when I was a teenager several centuries ago or whatever it was. Um what I did with the crystals in my story is they are a way of controlling animals. Okay. You take a crystal pair, the person wears one, the animal wears the other, and the person can take over the senses of that animal and walk around as that animal. Okay. And so the, um, the barons and the kings and all of that, they use those for war making. Hmm. And so that way the people can control the animals and the animals do the fighting for them. Interesting. So people don't actually fight. They don't die. It's the animals. Well, the important people. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, we must rephrase that. It's only the important rich people that can do this. Right. The peasants, yeah, they have to go out and fight. Uh huh. Normal warfare, yeah. Yeah, so one of the things that I like about some of the uh, fiction that I read is when they take a situation and they look for all of the weird ramifications and consequences mm -hmm. of whatever the technology or magic is. Yeah. And so I tried to do that and think through it. Okay, if this is something people can do, what kind of weird things could you do with it and what can happen? Yeah. And so that's where I came up with some of the standing rules that all of the kings were supposed to obey is to yeah. keep some of those weird things from happening. Yeah. So there is a counterbalance to the magic that they're using. Yes. Anytime you are actually in a trance controlling an animal, you lose all of your own sensory input. So you are just laying there... Uh, open to whatever happens to come so by. So you could easily be assassinated. Yes. Yeah. So you'd probably want to be in a locked room with tons of bodyguards. and. Yeah, so it's a matter of guarding your body while you're out gallivanting around. Yeah. So, I mean, in a way, it's almost like an astral projection. Yes. Where, but you're projecting yourself into this animal. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, so I go into some of the interesting things like, what's it like to fly? Mm-hmm. And the sense of freedom and seeing things. And uh, at one point, some of the teenagers are talking and deciding, you know, it'd be really cool to be able to dive bomb the caravan. Mm. And so they do, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. And they probably, uh, there, there might be some pooping, I'm sure, some of the teenagers, I'm sure. Yeah. Something like that happens. You never know. But, no, I, I, I like that idea. So why did you choose this type of a magic system? Well, it kind of falls back to the techno brain that makes me kind of lean to the uh, tech side really yeah. heavily. I like something that's well-defined. Um, the magic systems, you know, like Gandalf, he just, well, you don't know what he can do, what he can't do, what the limits are. I like to have something that's well spelled out and easy to understand. Mm-hmm. And so I came up with a very specific set of rules. There's not an awful lot to it. And so it makes it easy for me to uh, evaluate and see how things can interact with it. Yeah, it's almost very Brandon Sanderson-like where there's laws that govern the magic and there's this and that. Yeah, mine are just a lot simpler. Yeah, (laughs) yours are definitely a simpler format of it. other than you know traditional magic that's been out there for eons, it seems like where it's just throw a fireball. This there's no right. explanation. They just do that, which in some ways is good. But uh, what I really like is when authors actually invest into that magic system, and there is an explanation. There is mm-hmm. laws and reasons around it. It's not just they can just do it for whatever. You know you have you know they can't do it unless there's pairing crystals that make that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just, oh, yeah, I want to be a cat today, and bam, he's a cat. Yeah, that's one of the challenges with magical systems is I, I wanted to get away from the typical spellcasting D&D kind of effect. Yeah. So, no, that that's always really cool. And it explains a lot now about the cover, why there's a bear on there. I'm assuming there's a bear that comes into play at some point. Yeah, and the whole background of the cover is like shattered crystal. Yeah. So Mackenzie's returned from her quest to eat pizza and flirt with Russ Adams. Actually, technically, I was talking to Russ again. Okay. Well, see, you were flirting with Russ Adams. I was right. He can't let his wife find out about that. Otherwise, we can't do polar shenanigans tomorrow. Uh, well, he already kind of admitted that. You are chaining him up into a hearse with you. I have no shame. Yeah, yeah. So... That's an awesome cover. I'm really happy with the cover. Uh, this well, is one that was uh, designed... Uh, actually, I'm not sure who the designer was. But Come on back to the haunted trailer. The voices from above. The voices from above are speaking That's what we to need to ta- call them this convention. <laughs> what we're the doing from, from above. The voices from Ooh. above. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure who Jason King had uh, uh, worked with to develop the cover, but... It, it's all done through Immortal Works. Yeah. No, I mean, it's not an overly complicated cover. But, but it's it striking. definitely striking. It calls to you. The shield with the bear on it, it's very interesting. If I were to walk through a bookstore and pick it up, I'd want to look at it. And that's something that, you know, I've talked about Ooh. about book covers. Is that's as much as we always say don't judge a book by its cover, people do. Yep. And... It has to be interesting enough to spark a response to be interested. You know, what you immediately add, you saw it, and you're like, ooh, I'm interested. 
Um, and as simple as that is, pretty. it does. It does. It, it catches the eye and it says, you want to read me? Yeah, it's not an oil painting like a Hildebrandt Brothers kind of picture. Yeah. It's very iconic. Yeah. No, it is. I like it. It's very, it's very Well, and simple. I don't think I've seen anything like that uh, recently. N- no, not recently. Um, oh, Gaul. I know the name of the first book. It's called The Demon King. Um, I believe the author is Cinda Williams Shima or something, but she has two series, and her books were very similar to this. They were like, um, they weren't as pretty because it didn't have this background, but it just had like that one symbol, and that simplicity really jumped out at me because I didn't judge the book by the cover because there wasn't enough to judge it by. Does that make sense? It does, but at the same time, whatever was on the cover was still enough. That it was still wanted. enough to grab my attention, and it's the same with that one. Yeah, so right here you can see, oh, crystal background, and there's an animal on a shield. So people are fighting, there's animals involved, so it's that one. and rocks. That's the one. Yeah, so it looks like a pendant with a dragon? Oh, wait, maybe I'm thinking of the warrior heir. Or some sort of serpent. I mean, it's still very simple. Yep. I love those and books. sometimes those are the best. I mean... Well, they are. Sometimes you, and as much as I love Harry Potter, sometimes I feel they overloaded those book covers just a little too much with like the symbols and yeah. like the teases of the book, almost to the point where it gave it away. Well, then it depends on which version of the cover because yeah. I've had several. Yeah, right? they have. Yeah. Uh, there's been some that are very simplistic, um, but there are some that well, I actually have, like the... have been done because, they, yeah. I mean, if you're looking towards middle grade and kids, you have to be very visual in the cover. That's why I like the adult um, versions yeah. better. So it definitely calls out to those kids because they're like all flashy in that. More adult, you want more simplest. Uh, young adult seems to kind of be this weird paradox, at least that I've found, that are in the middle. Uh, but I could see that calling out to everyone, to be honest. Yeah, even if you look at uh, European book covers, they have distinctly different oh, tastes. Yeah. And so you have oh, to Harry get Potter somebody... Oh, Harry Potter is a clear indication. No. Yeah, if you don't understand what Europeans are looking for in covers, you need to get somebody who does if you're ever going to put a new cover on something. Well, yeah, there. I mean, just seeing, like, different Like Outlander, cover. as an example, when Outlander was yeah. published. Yeah. Uh, you know, when with Brandon's covers, seeing his European or his Taiwanese or his English covers, they're vastly different. Uh, even... Dan Wells, his German covers for I Am Not a Serial Killer, completely different. And that's because somebody did their market research. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and it's true. I mean, cultures have different, you know, like. That's interesting. Chinese cultures do not like ghosts. They don't like ghosts in that because they respect their ancestors and stuff oh. like that. So, you know, like Ghostbusters wasn't shown over there, that new, the new one. Really? Yeah. They found it offensive. So, you, you know, you have to... Well, I know... Um, focus Wonder on Woman. your target and stuff Wonder like that. Woman wasn't shown in Syria? Wherever, somewhere back there, because Gal Gadot is Israeli. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's interesting stuff like that, but definitely, if you're writing and working with a publisher, make sure they do their marketing, especially when they're going to another country. Just a little because bit. Because you never know. You don't want to offend them, because back to Outland... Well, it, well, I, it's like uh, Varen was saying in our last show. Uh, he, had, I can't remember what country it is, but the word "yup." Oh yeah, Slovakia. Is, is Slovakia is a very obscene word. You know, it's, it's like saying the f word here, and people would go over there and they're like, "Hey, do you want to eat this?" And you know, U.S. Americans would say, "Yep, 
and then suddenly they're like looking at him like what i mean it's, it's, it's as simple as that it's a word we use all the time but to them it's very vulgar and yeah my brother-in-law taught me how to flip off in french yeah almost everyone knows that but Two I didn't fingers. know what that meant yeah. until he pointed it out, well, and now be- I have issues. Yeah, that's because the English uh, would show them their bow fingers. Oh! Because back then, the French would capture the Englishmen and chop off their bow fingers. They don't show that in Robin Hood. Yeah. yeah. So that's where that gesture came from, was the English showing them their bow, their bow fingers. Yeah. Interesting now fact. Now that's a Robin Hood I would like to see. <laughs> have them cut off the, have them get caught and get the Poe fingers cut off. Get the finger, yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing about a lot of stories these days is we have sanitized memories of what we think might have happened oh, I in know. the past. Yeah. When there was an awful lot of just horrible brutality that was normal everyday stuff. Yeah. Oh, let's gather together and watch them hang somebody today. Well, well we were talking about horror them. movies yeah. earlier, how they're so different how they were so different in the 80s versus nowadays. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's just, I mean, it's everything evolves, but it, that's what I love about ancient history, though, is it, if you actually research, it is brutal, it is mean. And they don't but, apologize for it. But beyond that, it is amazing what these generals and that were able to accomplish and do with, like, they didn't have guns. They didn't have missiles. I mean, the closest thing to a missile oh, they had was trebuchets or ballistas and mm-hmm. catapults. It was just pure but, um, strategy. Yeah, it was strategy. Horses. I mean, Genghis Khan. Amazing what he did. Back? Uh, no, oh. I, I know. Uh, so it's just interesting what they were able to accomplish. You know, nowadays we push a button, the missile flies over, they do a strike, or it's over. It's yeah, even fighter pilots, most of the time, they don't really see what it is they're shooting at. Yeah. And so, back well, then, it was up close and very personal. Um, well, it's so, interesting. Yeah. Do you, have you guys ever seen the CBS show Madam Secretary? Uh, no, I have not. I can't say I have. So, the husband is a Gulf War, the first one era fighter pilot. Yeah. And they were talking about that, about how him coming back from war was different than this guy they had just dealt with because he was seeing his target from 20,000 feet and not up close and personal. Yeah. So it's very interesting to see just how much of that psyche it affects. I mean, you're going to get affected either way. The question is to what extent? Well, I think it would be easier not seeing that. You know, you can, there's that kind of cloud of deniability. Well, it didn't hit anyone. I'm good. You know, but up close and personal, that... You see that person right there and then. I mean, that, I don't know. I, I, in, in a short story I wrote, I had my character, he's only 14, fighting and killing someone for the first time. It affected him, you know? And you would have, I had to write the, those emotions into it. And, you know, it's just not, you, you see it in movies where they just, they, they slice someone and go on and move on, but they never really focus on how that affects someone afterwards. I mean, some, TV series do, but not everyone. Once Upon a Time did, actually, after Emma killed Cruella, I want to say. And I'm like, that that to me was interesting because, like, Regina, who we all know I love, they've kind of glossed over that fact. I mean, you see it a little bit when she's younger, but you never see, like, true switch of when she, of when killing became easy. Yeah. 
Yeah, that also just changes the way I write when I'm approaching a story because I have one short story that's a mech story. Uh, you're inside a big suit shooting things. Yeah. Um, and it's never that up close and personal feel. But in uh, Crystal King, yeah, you've got people fighting hand to hand and it gets really messy. Yeah. And so the tricky part there is to make it something that's uh, compatible with the audience I want to shoot for. That's not blood, guts, and gore everywhere. Treat it more like you were saying. You have that traumatic experience. People are dying here uh, to get the importance of that rather than the just plow through the enemies kind of a feeling. Yeah, well, I mean, I was, you know, after writing, I sat back and I watched The Matrix for the first, uh, for the first time again after that. And I'm just sitting here. How can you not be morally compromised? How can Neo not be morally compromised? Because, you know, shooting, you know, these agents. Uh, was Excuse me, it was the second one. He's shooting the agents at this point because he has his powers. Oh, Smith. But these agents are taking over the bodies of people. And these people, these you know, yes, they're in a computer program, but those are connected to real people. And if he dies in... I mean, if he gets shot and dies, aren't these people dying? Yeah, so is he really pulling the plug on that many people as I he know. Yeah. I know. So, I mean, that's the question. I'm like, how do you not stop? If I'm thinking this, how is he not thinking this? I mean, yeah, it's a computer game. They're good. Yeah. I, I don't know. But, yeah, how do you... How do you deal with that? <laughs> how do you morally, ethically, uh, any know. of it? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the fun part of writing. You get a, You get to kind of jump into that psyche without doing it <laughs> per se uh, yeah, one of the things that i really try to focus on is the goodness of human spirit yeah and the positive aspects now there are bad people out there but i always want to have good win in the end and have it to be difficult for them to win yeah what's your opinion on evil being redeemed i like that as well there's a little bit of that going on in my story i kind of touch on that a little bit as well but I like the idea of those who are trying to do the right thing eventually succeeding. Yeah. No, and I think I think we need that in the story. I think if evil won, I don't think we could we could connect with that. We can't believe that. We always have the hope that good will always triumph. Good will win. Now, how well good wins? That's always questionable. And I think people are more acceptable of that. Um, I don't know. Question. I don't know if there is a story out there where good or evil has won. I mean, God, well, there's the can start of one of the Brandon Sanderson stories. Is yeah, the bad guy won, and this is what happened You're because right. of it. But that all happened before. We didn't read right. that. You know, it's just bad guy won, evils here. But then we see good triumph over evil. Yeah, it was still messed up, but good triumph over evil. Well, maybe so Halloween slasher flicks. <laughs> So here's Maybe. the question about that, though, because, you know, you're talking about being redeemed and everything. But at one point, do you say I compromised myself too much to be truly considered good? That's a good story. That's a good story. I don't know. Because if you compromise yourself to the point where the morals and everything you believe in, you've I don't want to say you've turned your back on, but you've compromised it. Does good still win? Yes, because look at Batman. <laughs> I mean, that that could be an example there. 
I mean, it he could has be. not crossed one line, but he's crossed many lines. In the name of justice. In the name of justice, but. But he's I, still considered a good guy. And he, he struggles with that every day too. He does. He does. And I and I think that's that's the point. If you have someone that no longer struggles over that, they've lost. So touch. if they stop questioning, is this good? Is this bad? That's when. I think that's when they've. They're no longer good. Yeah, that's I've just heard my one way opinion. That you can uh, make somebody an irredeemable bad guy is if they kill a puppy dog. Or somebody a in a book still. kills a dog. Yeah, they are. Yeah. We no don't chase. talk about no that on this show. <laughs> yeah. So that's something to never do. Yeah. Right? See? Exactly. I will go full evil queen on them if exactly. they go after my puppy. So that would be an evil act, right? For me. Yeah. Most people that is. I mean, everyone, anyone. Really? That's a horrible thing. They're yeah. so innocent. Yeah. Humans, eh. Doggies. But that's the perfect innocent. way to automatically show someone is evil. To be honest, have that write that scene. Wait, is immediately. Isn't animal torturing on the psychopathic scale? Yes. Or something? It is. Well, there's your answer there too. Yep. It is one of the many signs. Just talk to Dan Wells. He has the entire list. <laughs> yeah, he probably has the encyclopedia set for that. He probably does. <laughs> But From the sound of it, he might be able to write it. Oh, he already has. He wrote, his first book was I Am Not a Serial Killer. Oh, oh, okay. Good yeah, to know. Yeah. And he has a whole series on that. Yeah. Yeah. And the premise of that story is he's not a serial killer and it's really by accident. Yeah. Uh, he actually has rules got, set in place so that he doesn't. He has one. all of the tendencies and he's fighting them. Yeah. And then he's. Like Dexter? Yeah. Kind of like Dexter. But then he starts. There is. Bad things are going Bad on. Bad things are happening, and he realizes that this is a serial killer and ends up finding it's a monster. It's actually a movie. They made it into a movie, and Christopher Lloyd plays the uh, Mr. Crowley that he finds out is the monster. Interesting. Yeah. So it was actually pretty good. Uh, so we're out of time, but you guys need to go check out. The book is available now. Um, the official release date oh. for the ebook is the 17th of October. Okay. I think the print book is already orderable. Uh, I'm not sure if it's there for immediate delivery or not, but it might be okay. coming online about the same time. All right. So pick up a copy of the book. Help John's numbers skyrocket through because, trust me, I've been there. I know it. Uh, if you do get a copy, please, please, please give a review. Don't be mean. Give a review. Give an honest review. Uh, but that's how authors survive is through reviews. And if you don't give one, then you're just not helping. I mean, if you like it, put it out there. Let people know so that they know to buy it. Just saying because I know. Um, but go out, get a copy. Check out Immortal Works. Uh, if you're an inspiring author, uh, check them out because they are always asking for submissions. But definitely pick up uh, The Crystal King and check out John's short stories. Which Where can they find those? For which? The short stories. Oh, the short stories. Um, you can find all of them on Amazon. If you just connect over to my uh, author page on Amazon, those are all listed there. I've got a couple of uh, horror short stories and several other things uh, listed in there. Okay. And recently, just uh, barely released in the last week or so, Story Hack Issue 1. Oh, yes. one of my short stories. It's a steampunk story. Nice. Ooh. Bryce's Story awesome. Hack. That's awesome. Uh, also... Where can they find you on social media if they want to follow you and find out all the fun, crazy stuff you're up to? Well, let's see. I am on 
Twitter. Uh, let's see. That would be John underscore M underscore Olson. Um, Facebook, you can find me uh, as well fairly easily. Oh, let's see. What else have I got? Those are the two main ones that I hang out okay. on most. All right. Uh, I think you can actually get to some of those through my author page on Amazon as well. Because that's connected to my blog. Uh, so I think those things are all kind of interconnected. You find one, you should be able to find the yeah. rest of them. So follow John. Find out all the craziness he's up to, what cons he's at. What uh, book he's working on next because this is the first book in a series of three and you're going to want to find out more. And with that said, we'll catch you next time. Thanks for having me. Bye.